0: It's the weekend, so relax and listen to some stories the whole family can enjoy. That's right, it's the Saturday Story Circle, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Chapter 36 the wheels of the wingless autogyro had no sooner set down upon the roof of the Westing mansion than the flying squirrel had leapt from her seat in the rear of the craft and landed in a crouch with a silent grace that would have left any unfortunate sentry breathless. For the few seconds they still stood. She strode across the open space with three soft, long leaps, turning with each moment to take in every blind spot created by the bricks and mortar of the old building, It took her only the few moments that the Red Panda spent securing the vehicle to establish that the roof was otherwise unoccupied. She pulled her flight goggles to the top of her cowl and turned back to face him, her athletic form still a picture of readiness. "Quiet, ain't it?" she said, the bob of red hair that hung behind her waving slightly in the wind of the slowing rotor blades. The Red Panda looked at her as he approached. There was always a fire in her eyes, but before a fight it burned with a special intensity. He was nearly a foot taller and seventy pounds heavier than her, and there was no mistaking just who was the master hypnotist with the spooky blank eyes in his mask. Still, he never wondered why many of the foes they faced seemed even more afraid of her. It did not occur to him until it was too late that he had been looking her in the eyes a little too long to pretend it hadn't happened. She drew herself to her full height as he approached— almost as if he had challenged her somehow. He stopped just a foot away from her. The blades of the autogyro had almost stopped and the silence of the night was all but total. For a moment neither of them spoke. Hi, she said, blinking first. Hello, he said, trying not to smile. You ready for this? Not at all, he said seriously. I had almost hoped for a welcoming committee. I could use a warm-up. Kit Baxter let that one sail past. It was a pretty good pitch to hit, but they had other fish to fry. ''Think the gas bombs thin things out a little?'' she said, with barely a raise of her eyebrow. He touched the red, gauntleted hand to the side of his mask and nodded. ''There are dozens of thermal signatures scattered about the grounds, perhaps hundreds, all of them prone and motionless.'' ''Seems your old pal didn't know about heat-seeking mask lenses,'' she smiled. ''A comparatively new wrinkle,'' he admitted. "'As is the auto-gyro. Though I suspect the cat may be out of the bag there. Let's go.' He moved swiftly and silently across the roof toward the access hatch. "'Remember,' he whispered, "'there may still be innocent parties in our way, "'and if Shah should use them as weapons, they will fight to the death.' "'Not if I break their little legs first, she purred. "'There is that.' "'We're going to lose the dark when we move in there,' she said ruefully. Perhaps not, he smiled. With a smooth motion, he produced a long strip of razor-sharp metal from a sheath within the folds of his coat. He flicked his wrist, and, with a quick metallic ring, the blade folded out to reveal it was two identical pieces joined at the center. With the device locked into position like an X, he turned and, with a seemingly effortless throw, propelled the perfectly balanced missile toward the connection between the power lines on the roof. The wires burst forth with a shower of sparks as they flew free of the mansion and fell into the night. Nice, she said with a grin. Well, one tries. He leaned over and pried the roof hatch open, revealing the attic space below. Stay on your toes, he said seriously, and remember what I told you. Yes, boss, she promised. Under a minute later they slid silently from the attic space into the upper level of the mansion. The carpet below their feet felt almost ankle-thick. That could work against them. Few men living could have heard their approach under normal circumstances, but that much padding could mask a far clumsier opponent. An instant later the click of a hammer being drawn back confirmed that they were right to be on their guard. From behind two pillars down the hall near the stairs a blaze of gunfire burst forth, tearing through the air and shattering the silence of the night. The Red Panda drew back against the wall more to clear a path than out of fear of these wild shots in the darkness. With his night-vision lenses he could see the flying squirrel's coiled form, ready to spring from the first instant of the engagement. Using the thrusting power of her static shoes, she threw herself high into the air, tucking forward into a tight roll as she did so. The power of her shoes allowed her to roll forward and higher through two revolutions of her body. At the second extension of her body's arc she made a small, sudden movement of the controls within her gauntlets and reversed the energy of the shoes— Allowing their power to pull her up against the high ceiling of the hallway in a sudden reverse free fall, held suspended in this manner, she ran forward across the ceiling as the two gunmen blazed their useless shots down the hall at chest level above the floor. In the near pitch darkness, they had only the momentary flashes produced by their own muzzles which to see the girl in the catsuit racing across the ceiling toward them, and each was too preoccupied with his own terror to think to look up. It was a bad mistake, and she proved that to them as she launched herself through the air and turned the full kinetic force of her fall into a kick that shattered the first Gunsel's jaw. The second man had not even the time to fully realize what had happened before Kit Baxter landed on her left leg and sent her right out at full extension towards his head. She broke his nose instantly, and as he bent over in pain, he burst forth into a stream of curses that she put a quick end to by bringing her left knee up into his temple. An instant after it began, it was all over. She bounced a little on the balls of her feet, expectantly at first, and then with disappointment. "'That's it?' she asked. No sound came from her partner. She turned back towards him. "'No, I'm seriously asking. That's it?' The red Panther shook his head. "'He's here,' he said. The halls rang with a hollow laughter. It was a laugh that sang without music, without mirth. It was the laugh of a living dead man, his heart empty of anything but the thirst for vengeance and power. It was the laughter of an unconquerable king. The Red Panda's mask lenses gave the pitch-black hallway the aura of an unearthly daylight. He could see the form of his rival walking casually down toward them, the folds of his cloak flowing behind him. "'Carefully, Squirrel,' the Red Panda said quietly. "'He's dangerous.' The laughter ended abruptly. Ajay Shah stopped, perhaps thirty feet away, his face transformed with apparent rapture at the glory of the moment. "'That he is, old friend. That he is.' "'You and I were never friends,' the Red Panda said gravely. "'No, we were not.' Shah shook his head. "'How sad. It strips the moment of some of the drama, does it not?' "'What are you talking about?' It has so much greater import, I find, Shaw smiled, when one is forced to kill a friend. In that instant, halfway between himself and Shaw, the Red Panda saw the Flying Squirrel's head whip around swiftly to face him. Even in the pale green glow of the night-vision lenses he recognized that fire in her eyes. It was a split second of stillness that hung like an eternity. The Red Panda knew that his preparations had been in vain, that his worst fears were confirmed and that his failure was nearly complete. Shaw had taken Kit's mind. There was a moment of despair in his heart as the flying squirrel raced towards him, a lust for murder written all over her face. After three steps, she threw herself through the air and began to close the gap between them with a series of backflips, each augmented slightly differently by the power of her static shoes, making it impossible to get a bead on her as she approached. In the seconds that he had before she reached him, the red panda knew that Shaw had not burned out her mind and made her a puppet as he had with old James Armwald and the Serangi. Shaw possessed none of these martial skills. He could not direct Kit's attack as effectively as she could herself. That meant there was still hope. The time spent in these ruminations might have been better spent in preparation for the coming attack, something that occurred to him as she took the last six feet between them in an instant and sent a flying roundhouse kick into the side of his head. He rolled with it, coming back to his feet in a single smooth motion up against the wall, but his left ear still rang with the impact. That had been unexpected. The squirrel threw two punches in rapid succession, each shattering the wallboards on either side of his head as he feigned and dodged. He swept her feet out from beneath her and ran hard in the other direction. August Fenwick had been a guest in this home many times and knew the lay of the land. Twenty feet further on, he knew the hall opened up into a walkway above a great open space, a ballroom on the second floor of the mansion. In the seconds that it took his partner to regain her feet, he had reached the gap and thrown himself over the edge of the banister into nothingness. As he landed far below, he rolled into a shadow and held as still and silent as he could. Even he could not hear her footfalls as she raced to the richly appointed catwalk, but he could see her in spite of the darkness. That was his advantage, the night-vision lenses. Kit did not like using hers, and if Shaw was limiting his influence in order to allow her to press the fight, she would have a difficult time following him. If he could just double back and take Shaw out of the picture quickly while he was distracted— He saw a momentary dull flash from high above and knew that it was too late. The flying squirrel had activated the night-vision device in her goggles. He heard the retractable gliding membranes in her costume unfurl and knew that she had seen him. He rolled quickly to find his feet, to get some footing. An instant later she crashed into him full force. It was a brutal and clumsy attack, as likely to injure herself as him, but it was effective. They both staggered under the impact— August Fenwick knew that Shaw would use Kit as a weapon. With no thought for her safety or survival, he knew that she would never rest, would never yield, and he knew just exactly what Shaw expected him to do. The squirrel directed a kick to his right side, which he blocked with his left forearm. She followed that with two swift cross-punches towards his face, which he slapped aside with long-practiced grace. He stepped to the side to avoid the front kick to the stomach that he knew was next. In that instant, his heart sang. Her attacks were hard and brutal, but they followed one of the many traditional sparring forms which they practiced constantly. She was unable to resist Ajay Shah's mind, compelling her to attack, and the rage and hate in her expression said she could not even escape the true mastery of Shah's mind. He had made her want to kill him, want it more than anything else. But somewhere, buried deep within, his partner was still fighting, telegraphing her next attack by following a pattern they had practiced a thousand times. The red panda continued to parry and dodge the blows for a few more precious seconds. He could use his knowledge of her attacks to exploit a weakness, to take her out of the fight, but any hit he scored against her would only reinforce Shaw's hold on her with anger and adrenaline. If he was going to take her out, it would have to be with a single blow that could kill or cripple her. He continued to back up as he followed the form of her attacks, desperately trying to see another way. There might only be an instant left to choose if Shaw sensed what she was doing— The punch to the right knee that he was expecting was suddenly replaced by a high front kick that caught him in the chin and sent him staggering backward. He landed hard, pushed himself up with his hands. Too late. He held himself, frozen, as she closed the distance between them slowly, then more slowly. She stood over him, her hands clenched in hard fists, her whole body quaking with rage. The red panda knew he could never do what needed to be done, but that if he didn't, she would kill him and Shaw would triumph. More to the point, Shaw would never leave Kit in peace. He would kill her or make her his slave, as he would enslave and terrorize so many once he had destroyed the one man who might have stopped him. The moon appeared from behind the deep cloud cover, and a tiny amount of soft pale light streamed in through the high windows of the ballroom. The Red Panda saw his partner hesitate. What could Shaw be waiting for? Or was it something more? Was Kit Baxter still fighting? There was no way for the Red Panda to know in that moment. Kit Baxter's mind held on with a savage fury to a single image, a single point of stillness. That as she stood above him, crouched in apparent murderous intent, every ounce of strength left to her was focused on the image of the unseen eyes that lay behind his mask. They were dark, she knew, so brown they were almost black, but they danced with energy, They were full of fire for the task ahead, full of concern for her safety. They looked tired from the fight and yet still bore great resolve. They were his eyes. Her fists opened as if pried by invisible hands. The red panda held still, did nothing that might break the power of her concentration. With a swift and sudden motion she pulled the gauntlet from her right hand and threw it to the floor with savage ferocity. His brows knit. What could this... The thought was forced from his mind as she threw herself upon him, her bare right hand reaching for his face as if to claw his eyes out. He grabbed her wrist on impulse, but after an instant, as her hand shook with the inner conflict, he relaxed his hold, letting her hand creep toward his face as he held her wrist loosely as a safety. The hand paused and hung in the air for an instant, then suddenly plunged to grip his mask, tightening her fingers round it as if to tear it from his face. She screamed as she tripped the safety device in the mask. Meant to prevent enemies from unmasking them when vulnerable, her insulated gauntlet might have protected her from the charge were she still wearing it. Electricity coursed through her body and she continued to scream in pain. From somewhere far down the empty halls of the Westing Mansion, the Red Panther could hear another voice screaming in equal torment, that of Ajay Shah. An instant later her body went limp, draped across him. He rolled her to the right and lowered her gently to the ground. He checked her pulse quickly and found it strong. He pulled the goggles from her face and looked at her in a moment of quiet amazement. The shock was high in voltage but low in amps. She would recover quickly. In that instant she stirred, just slightly. Her eyelids fluttered and her large brown eyes revealed themselves in the moonlight. Boss, she whispered. He shook his head slightly. There was no time. He leaned close and whispered. Our men must be in the cellars. Get them clear. I'm going to end this. She smiled and closed her eyes. Yes, boss.